Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Marco Santarelli. Marco is an investor, author, and founder of Narada Real Estate Investments, a nationwide provider of turnkey cash flow investment property. Since 2004, they've helped thousands of real estate investors create wealth and passive income through real estate. He's also the host of the top-rated Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. How are you doing today, Marco? I'm great, Charles. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And it's great to have you uh, on, on the podcast. And I know you have a lot of experience, not just in turnkey, but also of working with international investors. So I think it'll be great value for, for all of the listeners. And a couple of things when I was looking over your website, it said you started investing in real estate at age 18. How did that happen? How did that happen? I took action. <laughs> I've, I've always had a fascination from as early as I can remember with money and wealth. And, you know, a friend of mine actually said that you've always wanted to be rich. I don't know if I would label it that way, but certainly I, I just knew the value of, of having wealth and being financially independent. At the end of the day, it's, it, I didn't want to go to school. I didn't want a job. I, I wanted to have time freedom. And I think most of your listeners and you and my, myself, that's what we ultimately want. We want to be able to live our life on our own terms. And in order to do that, you need time freedom. But how do you get time freedom? Well, you have to have financial freedom. Well, how do you get to financial freedom? Well, one of the major milestones is to achieve financial independence. So I figured if I can get to that point, then I can you know, have that time freedom and, and, and do what I want to do. So long story short, I just educated myself in my teens. And then when I was able to qualify for financing at the age of 18, I bought my first rental property. It was an end unit townhome. I fixed it up. Didn't need a lot of work, but it needed work put a sign in the lawn. There was no internet back then, so I couldn't advertise online. But I took paper applications. I interviewed these people, not really knowing what I was doing, but I ultimately placed the tenant, kept that property for a number of years, and, and, and I did very well with it. The, the biggest mistake I made was actually selling that property years later. I, I took a big profit out of it, but the problem was is I was stupid in the sense that I didn't know what I knew today. I could have reinvested those, those funds, but I didn't. Yeah. Hey, you became an agent afterwards for a couple of years? Yeah, I, I continued down the path of real estate investing and being an entrepreneur with some success and a lot of failures, but that's how you learn, right? Experience is the greatest teacher. But yeah, ultimately, I got my real estate license, not because I wanted to chauffeur people around in the backseat of my car showing them houses, which I did. But it was really just to have access to the MLS and, uh, and be able to learn the industry and the trade better for myself. And so today I'm a broker, but it, you know, it was all those little stepping stones over the course of years. Yeah. When did you decide to go full-time in real estate? I imagine with right after this deal, this eight, when you were 18, but you became an agent, then you went full-time through real estate investing in your early 20s? No, actually, I, I, was, I was really more of an entrepreneur than an investor. I've, I've had a lot of, I've had a stream of, of, of businesses along the way, mostly small businesses, many of which I either folded or failed at, but gained a lot of experience and education from. It was the greatest teacher that you could possibly have. I learned far more from 
my my endeavors in, in being an entrepreneur than I did going to school. But along the way, I just knew that investing was important. And so I dabbled with the stock market. I taught myself, you know, technical analysis on how to invest in the stock market. I continued to invest in real estate. But really, the turning point was 2003, when I got an email from Robert Allen, who is a well-known author. You know, he's written and co-authored about 20 different books. But he was one of the grandfathers of nothing down real estate. And I don't know how I got on his list, but I got this email in the middle of 2003. They had a two-day or actually a three-day free seminar in Orange, California in September. And I had time on my hands, so I decided to go. And that really was the turning point. I decided to invest in their boot camps, which were anywhere from $15,000 to $35,000. But there was 2,000 people in the room and half of them were running to the back with credit cards in hand, you know, investing in these boot camps. So long story short, I ended up going to all these different cities to, to get this continuing education in real estate. In many cases, I knew more than what the instructor was talking about, but it was the kick in the pants that allowed me to put the pedal to the metal and purchase in, at that time 84 units, 84 doors in a nine-month period. So because I was really hitting the ground running, investors were coming to me saying, hey, can you help me? I'd like to do what you're doing. And they were spending the same kind of money as I was and going to the same places. They were getting the quote unquote education, but really not pulling the trigger. Mm. So I didn't want to be a coach or mentor. Ultimately, I said, look, I see deal flow. I can help you with the deals and started and I started packaging them. And that was really the niche that ultimately became the existing business today. So to answer your question, it was 2003, 2004 that I really decided to go full steam ahead, full time, and that's what I did. Yeah, it's amazing when you go to the, some of those events and a lot of people are just getting started. A lot of people are transitioning. A lot of people are trying to get out of their W-2 and a lot of people haven't taken any action. So if they you're speaking to them and you've taken action, it's kind of like a magnet. And uh, it's funny you say Robert Allen. And I remember that. My, my dad used to have those in my Carlton Sheets as well. Another name for Right. Him. Yeah. yeah. I had those on, too. <laughs> they kept on selling his program for years after he died. And, he, and my dad was like, this guy has been dead for years and they're still selling the program on like infomercials and stuff. That's so funny. Carl Carlton Sheets actually would renew and repackage his product uh, about once every year for a number of years. And I remember I ordered it one year and then like two years later, it was a whole brand new shiny package with CDs <laughs> instead of cassette tapes. And so I ordered it again. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, I remember Robert Allen had a thing called Multiple Streams of Income, which was one of his, which was a really, it really kind of defined how to, how to make money in any type of business or or um, create wealth. But when I was looking over your website, it's very interesting because a lot of not just uh, not just turnkey guys, but also a lot of syndicators, they'll focus on like one, two, three, maybe even four or five markets. And I was looking, it's like almost 25 markets that your company, Narada Real Estate, focuses on. And I was, I was wondering how that all works. How are you able to do your due diligence on it and then also narrow it down to neighborhoods and ultimately properties? Yeah, that, that's really a good question. And, and, and it all comes down to my fifth rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing. And that's to be market agnostic. When you understand that the country is made up of over 400 metropolitan areas, you realize that every real estate market is local. And what happens in, let's say, Tampa, Florida, where you're, where you're at, is different than what happens in, let's say, Orange County, California, which is not a city, it's a county, but it's different than what happens in Detroit, Michigan. So when you understand that markets are different and they have different dynamics, economics, and fundamentals, then you should be picking your markets based upon what those markets are capable of and the health of that market. And that's why we're in multiple markets because we are market agnostic. That's my fifth rule is just to be market agnostic. So if you want your investment capital to work 
as hard as possible for you, you should be looking in the markets that make the most sense from an investment perspective, from a fundamental perspective. And so this is why we're in more than one market. And every market provides kind of a different result for you. Some markets are very linear. They're very very slow moving. And we call those cash flow markets or linear markets. And then you have markets that are experiencing very strong growth, like many of the markets in Florida, for example, where if you were to buy property today and it's uh, in a strong stable area, it's going to ride along with that major trend within that market in terms of price growth. And so those are growth markets and that gives you more appreciation potential and often it comes at the expense of less cash flow or a lower rate of return. So you need to ask yourself as an investor, what am I interested in or what do I want to build my portfolio on? And the answer to that question will determine whether you should should focus on a growth market or a cash flow market or maybe a hybrid of those two. Now, you have boots on the ground in all the different markets that you guys... I mean, you must have a system in each each market where you're sourcing deals, you're evaluating them, you're rehabbing them. You have that in every one of those markets that you guys uh, work with on your website? Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's very perceptive of you. Yes, you, you do have to have uh, boots on the ground, but it's more about the systems. You know, you have to have the right systems. And when you have the right systems in place, and that's what I developed back in 2003 and 2004 when I was investing from Southern California over 2,000 miles away in markets from Florida as far north as as Michigan, once you have the systems in place, then you can put the people in the right seats on the bus. And so the people are critically important because you have to have the right team of people that uh, work well with you and that you trust and that are not going to rip you off because that's happened to me on a number of occasions. But yes, systems and people are critically important. People think that real estate is about properties. Not so much. It's a people business, not a property business. The property is the vehicle, but the people are what make it work and happen. And so when you, so a property comes in and you guys are handling actually, you know, picking the property, making sure it's done at the right price, the rehab, getting it all set. So it's exactly turnkey for your investors that fit the makeup of what the mixes of appreciation and cash flow for that market. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. So there's no formal definition of what turnkey means. This industry kicks that term around and and, and really nobody's ever defined it. Uh, We took a a stab at defining it. It's on our website of what we believe turnkey really should mean and, and the minimum standards that go along with that. For most people, turnkey really means just a rent ready property. There could be deferred maintenance items. There could be issues, but it's performing. There's a tenant. It's cash flow positive. You know, that, that is what I refer to as a rent ready property. And that's okay. We sell some of those, but most of what we have available is turnkey. And so when you've renovated the property, you've got new mechanicals, the roof is either new or has at least, let's say, seven years of usable life. That's when you can start to say, yeah, that is what I'll call as a turnkey investment. And this is good. It's great for for a lot of people. It's not for everybody. Some people like to be active real estate investors and pick up a hammer and swing you know, swing and fix their properties. And that's okay too. You know, that, that's just a different strategy in terms of building your real estate portfolio. And what type of properties does your company focus on purchasing? So I'd say 90% of what our clients are actually purchasing and accumulating to build their real estate portfolios are single family detached homes. We love single family and that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with multifamily or apartments. I've, I've invested in those as well. They're just a different type of product within this asset class and they all have their you know their nuances and pros and cons but but single family homes are the most abundant 
especially in a very tight environment right now that we have where supply is low, demand is high, and we don't have a lot of inventory around the country for apartments or fourplexes or duplexes or single families. But the single families make up the, the largest percentage of the housing stock in the U.S. And so it's abundant. It's easy to understand. It's easy to fix up. It's easy to finance. And because of all those things, it's really 90% of what we offer and, and what our clients purchase. But duplexes and fourplexes are out there. And then, of course, if you can find the right deals, like what you do, where you have apartments and you syndicate those deals, you know, those are great opportunities as well. It just involves a lot of work on the front end and due diligence to find and vet those deals. But once you find them, it's great because the money will follow. Yeah. The financing and definitely on single family houses is the easiest. I mean, you can put, you can do so many of them. You can, it, fantastic 30 year, no balloons. It's, it's fantastic. You can't beat that at all on any type of real estate investment. It's really hard to beat worldwide for, you know, your global listeners. The fact that the United States is one of the few, almost, I don't want to say the only country, because I've heard there is another country that offers a 30 year fixed rate product. But the point is, is it's pretty rare. It's very hard to find a 30-year loan, an amortized mortgage, at a fixed rate. It's, it's, it's an unheard of product. It's actually an anomaly and it's, it's unique to the US. Yeah. Now, you have a software for doing underwriting and it's called, or it's called DealGrader. What, what is that? It's your, it's your trademark software? Yeah, so it's a proprietary algorithm, and uh, it's on our website right now. We're repositioning that with the rebuild of the new site that's launching in about a month or so. But essentially, it's an algorithm that takes into account three major factors. There's other factors that play into it. And that is really just the overall health of the market, the growth potential of that market, the neighborhood grade the property sits in which is made up of other elements, and then the financial performance. And so really, it's just a weighted algorithm that blends those things together and comes up with a score from one to 10. And 10 being, you know, you never see a 10, but 10 is like a perfect ideal scenario for an investment. And for I'm just wondering where, when you're picking out properties, I know we were talking beforehand about Palm Bay, Florida, just a, just a town in uh, central Florida. And where do you have like on a map somehow before it goes in this deal grader where if a deal comes in, it fits within some constraints of neighborhoods before you even look at it? Or do you fully review the deal before saying that's okay or that's, that's not going to work? Well, we have a buy box, you know, a range of parameters that we give our boots on the ground, our teams that are either building the product if it's new construction or renovating the product if it's a distressed property or something that, you know, needs to be turned into a turnkey rental property. And so they, they have, they, they already know what we expect in terms of cap rates, cash flow, neighborhood grade, which is typically in the range of from B minus on the low end to an A on the high end. The median or the bulk of what we end up selling are probably B plus neighborhoods. Uh, That's kind of the sweet spot or the middle of the bell curve because it gives you from a neighborhood perspective, the greatest, uh, the greatest stability and appreciation potential while still on the other hand, having a reasonably favorable Uh, rate of return, whether you measure that by your cap rate or by your cash on cash return. So you want that cash flow because that's the glue that keeps your deal together. And at the same time, you still want growth potential. And really, it's kind of hard to have all of both because when you have more of one, you tend to give up on the other. And that's just the way markets are because as you go into A-class neighborhoods, you have stronger appreciation potential and often better stability. But because they're more expensive, the rents don't scale 
as as fast as the prices do, and so you give up on on that cash, you know, the cash on cash return and the cap rate. Yeah. So I hope that made sense. That was yeah, kind of no, a lot. It, it makes perfect sense because in that it, it's a great area to focus on. It's that B two B plus. You have first of all, it's a single family house, so you have a higher longer retention compared to an apartment, but you also have, I mean somebody renting in that grade of neighborhood, unless they're buying their own house and that's their future goal. I mean, they're staying there. They're not going to, it's not going to be someone I imagine that's moving every 12 months. It's going to be. So that's fantastic for your investors as well. You have a quite the portfolio yourself of properties. What, what do you usually are, are is the most of your properties in um, of your portfolio in single family that you own? Single family. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm in the process of acquiring about five single family homes in Wisconsin, which is, we, we have Wisconsin on our website. It's really the, uh, not Madison, Madison, no, uh, Milwaukee, the Milwaukee market. I get that confused with Madison because I'm looking at Madison as a secondary market in Wisconsin to offer rental properties. But I always, I should say always, I'd like to test the market out before um, we open it up to investors. So I have to make sure we have the right team in, in place and the systems are in place. So right now I'm, I'm in the process of purchasing a, a small portfolio of properties that we're in the process of renovating as we speak. And so that will lay the foundation for us to open up that Milwaukee marketplace once, uh, you know, once I close escrow and things are moving. Okay. Yeah. So it's a great way of testing out the market is doing it yourself. Sure. I mean, I imagine your your investors like to hear that, that you have a track record in that area and especially you can pass them off now to the property manager and everybody else that's involved with running the property after you sell to them. So, um, so you work with a lot of investors and a number of them are international. And I wanted to find out kind of, since we focus on international investors here investing in the US, what are usually the goals or what are the concerns that you have when you speak for the first time or the first few times to a potential uh, international investor? What are my goals for them? Oh, or? No, no, their goals. What are their goals usually when they're coming to you and they're saying, I want to park some money into US real estate. I want to, you know, what are they looking to do normally? That depends where they come from. Because if they're coming from a place like China, it's really a capital flight. They're trying to get their money out of the country and place it in the US you know, just for, for safety. Uh, Many times they're not even looking for a rate of return. They just want to park it elsewhere. And so this is why so many international investors, and I say investors in quotes, are not actually investing. What they're doing is they're just purchasing real estate sight unseen, like new construction uh, properties and condos, just to to move their cash. It's, It's just flight, capital flight. But a more prudent investor, someone who's actually investing for a rate of return, is, is, is looking for uh, stability. And often they get mesmerized by the, the primary or ter- uh, primary um, uh, tier one markets like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco. These are very, very expensive markets for, for different reasons, but, but they're attracted to that because they feel comfortable or safe. It's familiar to them, even though it's not the best choice from an investment perspective. The best opportunities are typically in secondary markets, you know, what I call a tier two market, and sometimes even in the tertiary markets, which are more outliers of these secondary and primary markets. That's where you can find affordable housing that rents for a a number high enough on a monthly rental amount that it generates positive cash flow and a rate of return. So if you're an investor and you're looking for rates of return, that's how you're going to achieve it. So the expectations are de- are really dependent upon where they're coming from and what they want. It's 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 their goals. Hmm. Uh, I would 
think that a lot of the people that we end up talking to are not trying to just move capital out of one country to put it in ours. They're actually looking for a stable investment that will generate income and grow in value over time. And that's, that's really how you should be investing. Don't speculate, invest for cash flow, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. When they, when a new investor comes in, you're able to refer them to all the different uh, parties that are required for them to invest, whether it's a lawyer or CPA, um, you're able to kind of put them in touch with everybody. Obviously, the property manager after they purchase in the area you have set, but you kind of handle helping them get all their ducks in a row before they purchase. Is that correct? Well, all those things are in place as part of the systems we were talking about before, before we even have a conversation with them. So ultimately, when we provide them advice and counseling and, and they've narrowed down the market that they want to you know, be investing in, uh, for whatever reasons they, those are, you know, those are the discussions they have with their investment counselor here. Um, everything that they need just unfolds because we have them available. We have all the lenders they, they could possibly need, even if they're international investors, like there are financing options available in the U.S. for foreign national investors. So those are, you know, resources that we have available. We put them in touch with those people and, you know, they, they decide who they want to do business with in terms of financing. Property management is typically plugged into the asset, so the, the properties are, are often leased, they're cash flow positive, they're professionally management, professionally managed, and you're just taking over that management. Uh, so you'll just have a new management agreement with that property manager, and so when you close escrow, you know, you, you, you have a performing asset, another performing asset in your portfolio. Hmm. But anything that someone would need from asset protection attorneys to CPAs to the to the lenders and mortgage brokers. Yeah, that stuff is is part of what I refer to as that turnkey real estate investing experience. It's just part of that solution. Now you mentioned the financing, which is very interesting. What do you usually see for options? Is it like 50% for an international investor? Or what do you see that kind of is normal, traditional for safe single family, let's just say? Yeah, that's a good question, Charles, because uh, that can change from month to month. Right now, it, lending has become much more liberal. There's a lot of loan programs out there for investors. So as a foreign national, you can get financing. I've seen some pretty aggressive stuff where it's as little as 25% down, which is pretty amazing because that's much like our conventional financing here for US residents. But as a rule of thumb, I would just budget or, or, or just assume that you're looking at 30% down, which is still very favorable to get 70% financing. If you can get 70% financing at a rate that's probably starting in the 6% range, which is really only about 1% more than what we have as um, you know, conventional financing or portfolio financing for ourselves as residents. That's very, very attractive. So um, yeah, and, and these are 30-year loans and they're still fixed rate. I mean, there's different loan products out there. You can also do five and 10-year fixed where it becomes adjustable after the fact. Yeah, that's interesting. I've seen 50%. I haven't really seen 30 that much. But yeah, as everything's getting a little bit more open, liberal on the financing, as you said, I mean, uh, there's so many different programs that are available. That's really great because 30%, you know, on a commercial property, it's normally 25 to 30% for a US sign. Yeah. So for foreign investor at 30%, it's very, it's, I mean, it's, it's very comparable. I want to touch base on a couple of things here with your, you have a podcast. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. I mean, you almost have 200 episodes. It's called Passive Real Estate Investing. And um, I was looking through a few episodes. I listened to a couple. What, what do you guys usually, um, what do you focus on there? I know a number of different topics. Yeah. So I, I, I titled it Passive Real Estate Investing because I, I, I talk about everything real estate 
investing related, but with a slant towards the investors who don't want to reinvent the wheel and they don't want to be an active investor swinging a hammer, finding the stressed assets, dealing with situations where they're taking on more risk, longer, longer development times, dealing with contractors and all that stuff. A lot of people out there, and you're familiar with this being a syndicator, you know, they have investment capital. They want to get into a deal. They want to have a good investment with a good rate of return and continue to live their life because people have their careers, they have their family, they have their hobbies and friends. And, you know, that, that's really where they spend most of their time. They don't want to be going through a massive learning curve and having to reinvent the wheel and find, uh, you know, properties and markets that they're not even familiar with to try and create an investment portfolio. When it's 70 or 80% of the way done for you, then it becomes that much easier. So those are the things we talk about on the show is how to be successful, how to invest and how to be successful and what to know and what to learn and what to look for. So the focus is passive investing, passive real estate investing, uh, but we compare and contrast that to everything else. So anyway, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but it's, it's... No, it's just to give an idea of exactly what it, you know, what it is so people can check it out. And it's great. I was, I mean, there's, there's a number of different topics. So it's, it's something that I'll link to in the bottom of, uh, of the episode notes, but it's one thing as you're saying about just turnkey in general and people, they might think when they're, Oh, you know, it's, it's searching for the deal. That's time consuming. Well, that's, that's one thing. But the other thing too, where turnkey comes in is that, Building the team is very time consuming and you don't know when you're building a team and you're like, I want to purchase six months or a year from now, you have no idea what the, what the credibility of that person is unless or that company until you've actually utilized them. And unless it's coming from a referral from someone who says, oh yeah, I'm, you know, they're managing the same type of property that you're looking at buying or they find the same properties for me or they do this kind of lending or financing. So to have that all lined up is a savings before you even, you know, contact the broker, you know what I mean? Looking for a deal. So that's, um, that's, that's definitely another, another plus. And how do people learn more about Narada, Narada Real Estate and your investments that you have currently available? Yeah, really. It's just our two websites. We have tons of free information and resources and downloadable guides. And we have a, uh, a book coming out in a couple of months that will be given away for free as well. Uh, so as long as you're on our newsletter, you'll get the announcement for that. But the two websites is noradarealestate.com. And that's spelled N-O-R-A-D-A, noradarealestate.com. And then the website, which is the home of the podcast, is passiverealestateinvesting.com. You know, just like the name of the podcast. Okay. Well, perfect. Well, thank you very much, Marco, for being on, on the podcast today. And what I'll do is I will put all the links and all the contact information provided in this episode. I will put it into the notes and also the notes of podcasts and notes of YouTube. So thank you very much. And um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. And we'll look forward to reading your book as well, since I'm on the, on the mailing list. Thank you, Charles. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Thanks, Marco. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed.
All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.